And one of the things I was um, also looking at in regards to some of the habits of the citizens of China in regards to most Chinese um, individuals prioritize um, happiness. It was the, the, the article I was reading says over wealth and a feeling of increasing need to save money. These are Chinese principles. Happiness over wealth. And when they work, they <coughs> save money. What can we extract from that? Oh, I, I've learned a lot. When I came here, I never used to understand that because you know, a Chinese person would wear the same dress for the whole week, you know, <laughs> and um, I would wonder like, wait, why, you know, their clothes are cheap. The first time I met my landlord uh, when I was renting an apartment, he came, you know, cycling. And, you know, when you're coming from Africa, we had that thing of like a person who was cycling, you don't have a car, that means you're poor. And I was wondering, how, how can you afford such an apartment if you, you know, but it's not like that, they just like that. And yeah. the issue of class, you know, we in Africa and other parts of the world, we've got, you know, low density areas, medium and stuff. In China, there's nothing like that. Everyone lives at the same place. So there's no, you know, that, you know, Borodell in Zimbabwe always says for the rich and, and no, there's nothing like that. So what China has managed to do, and I think that's why there are people also succeeding. Um, what they've done is they've made sure that in each community, there's a mall. There's no thing that, oh, you're saying I'm going to town, you know, like what we always do, like, oh, I'm going to the city center. It's city center everywhere, even in the rural area, they've got a big mall, they've got everything, they've got banks. There's no way that you'll say, oh, I'm going to the bank. It's like everything is there. So they live together. And like you're saying, you would see that they save, they buy things, they would save money, they would eat their noodles and, and stuff. But financially, I think there are people who are so disciplined financially. They are very, very disciplined. So they have to be doing something right, yeah, because they have the second largest amounts of billionaires on the planet. And this is, this is new wealth, because as we know, China used to be a very insular nation. And it was through, I think it was under Dong Xiaoping, they decided to open up their, 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 their economy and open up to the world because under Chairman Mao, you know, they, they closed the borders to the West because of all of the, the, the contraband that was coming in. And then when they decided to reopen, in a very short space of time, you know, they literally competing for world dominance with the United States of America. So do you think the mere fact that China's known as a nation that really focuses on manufacturing, they make everything, you know, and they show their talents really through making everything. And they're the master copiers, <laughs> yes. duplicators of everything. So what can we learn in Africa and the Caribbean from their expertise in regards to manufacturing, producing something at a low cost and selling it at a much higher cost? What can we learn from that? 
Um, I can give you the example of what is going on now. Um, I don't know if you know that China has been closed for two and a half years. Yeah. No yeah. one is coming in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you, we're saying that China makes everything to send it to the world. And yeah. right now they shut down. No one is coming in. And the question people should be asking is how are they surviving? Yes. You know, and every time I'm asking myself and I'm saying, I think they're just trying to show the world that we don't need you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because right. they shut down everything. No one is coming in. No one is. They're, they're just surviving by themselves and they don't care about what is happening. And it's something that we if we start to think that way. Because normally what messes us up is we think of aid, we think of help, who's going to help us, who's going to loan us money. You know, these people right now, they shut down, they shut down ever since people started saying COVID is from China and they closed their borders. We haven't been home for the past two and a half years. They closed the borders and we're asking ourselves like, if the world has been buying from China and they've shut down everything, how are these yeah. people surviving? They're still surviving, which means that if we, the Africans, the Caribbeans, if we also believe that we're capable, I mean, look at Africa, we have everything, man. We do have everything, but I don't understand why we still ask for help. You know, we still want people to help us, but we are there. And these two years has just shown me that sometimes, you know, just shutting down. I don't know if Africa will have the courage to actually do that, to say, hey, you know what? Let's try and solve African problems as Africans and really shut down. And we try and do it because I feel as Africans, Africans have gone abroad. We've got people, we've got expertise. Our Africans are so educated in so many different fields. And when it comes to innovation and technology, I know we can do it, but it just needs us to actually also say, you know what, we don't need, just try and show the world that we can do it and not be scared. These people have been shut down for two and a half years and they're surviving. Right. There's no hunger, there's nothing. People are living their life to the fullest. Yes. And, yeah. and what's interesting is obviously in the, if in the Caribbean, you know, most of our economies are based upon tourism. And mm. if the tourist doesn't come, we, we, we're gone. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're, totally, um, we're totally finished, totally gone. So again, <laughs> where, the, 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 where China used to focus on surviving off of their exports, you know, and they were, encouraged to under the particularly under the Trump administration to engage more in importation and their imports now are very 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 high um, as you mentioned they have proven that they can weather a storm for three years yeah. uh, many nations could not do that so what would you then even though you've just advised you know we're educated around the planet, Africa should take a, a leaf out of their book. Where do we start? Because again, we're, 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 we're allowing 
the Chinese and others to come into our countries and build our infrastructure. But they also have great expertise, as you mentioned earlier, in the agricultural field. So if we're able to sustain ourselves and starting with food, is it, it, there, there, I don't see enough exchange of skills from an agricultural perspective from China as I do see with the establishing of roads and the building of buildings. I don't see us being trained to, to supply our own um, agricultural needs. If, if, if agriculture is being taught, it's on land that the Chinese are buying from Africa and the Caribbean community. It's not land that we're inviting them in to teach us how to cultivate and use the heavy equipment. And then they, we thank them and send them back home. So how, how are we going to change this relationship, um, Dr. Samantha? Because at every, every, at every angle that I look at it, it's master-slave relationship. I, I, that's all I can, can extrapolate, you know? So, so how do we change this? Um, I have two or three ideas um, that I think we can do. <clears throat> First, I'll say this, China, what China has done actually, it's training our people. It's giving scholarships to African students to come and study here. And we've got some students who are doing agriculture. We actually had a student who um, was doing a PhD in, what is this? Um, I don't know, what, what is a food refinery or something like changing food into, yeah. So we've got a lot of students who are doing that, but when they finish, they're not going back home. <laughs> they are staying here. Instead of doing that, they're ending up teaching and stuff. Secondly, uh, the other issue that I wanted to do, I think our problem is our leaders and I don't know where, you know, or where one can actually go and speak to our African leaders because I think this is where change should come from. Um, first, I'll just a small thing that maybe people don't see it, but something that has been in my head for a long time, you know, for Africa, we ask for help, donations, even clothes, you know, we ask for donation for clothes, but how many of us are in the diaspora and we've got clothes? Right, if each and every country of ours could say maybe once or twice, just open the border for free to say Africans in the diaspora, bring back your old things home for free. Do you think we need Save the Nation? Do you think we need UN? I don't think we do need those people. Do you think we need Red Cross? If the countries just say, guys, we are opening, bring back your furniture, whatever, old clothes, we dress our own. Each of us have bags, we've got clothes that we don't wear. We don't even need anyone to send it. We can do that. So if our uh, government- Let me say, Dr. Samantha, some of the clothes that some of us wear in the West, I don't think it's fit for us in the West much, less somebody in Africa. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but it's a, yeah, I don't think we would send those but, ones, but I think we would send decent stuff, really. I've been to, I've been to, I've been to, uh, I understand, I understand. But I'm just saying, come to think of it, even the books that our kids are reading, right? We, we say we don't have school libraries. But we right. can open school libraries by the books that we, your kids have grown. You've got if our governments could just say once or twice a month for free, just put in a container. We don't charge duty. But again, again, I'm going to come back to you again. You know, when I look back at China, you know, go back uh, a few centuries, not centuries, uh, generations. China had such a gap between rich and poor. I mean, it was astounding to try to feed, clothe and shelter 1.3 billion individuals or over a billion individuals. That's a mammoth task, okay? Now, that level of patriotism, the, 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 the desire to do for self, to empower your own and to turn your country and, it's, and to use the natural resources for the strengthening of your people, then it started there with them, right? They trained their people and became the world's factory, okay? Now, we have an advantage in Africa and in the Caribbean where we have the mineral resources, but we are selling out these mineral resources and our young people are not being trained. So rather than send old materials or old clothing or old furniture or old cars, because this is what we find. We find all of the world's reject, rejected mm -hmm. items are in Africa and the Caribbean. All the old clothes, <laughs> all the mm -hmm. old furniture and all the old transportation, right? Don't even talk about a military. <laughs> Don't even talk about an air force, you know? But this is like the dumping ground for everything old, okay? Now, innovation is the way forward. And all of these innovative minds from Africa, from the Caribbean, <clears throat> are in the West. So the governments need to obviously put packages together to invite yes. these innovators to come back home and teach and train our people there. How, how can you see this possibly happen? Because I'm looking at you in China as a sponge who's been able to soak up all of this experience. Now, we have to wring the, <laughs> the sponge out because the sponge is full, right? So you have to go and rain down out of Africa. So as you're raining, we'll just bring this talk to a close because I know it's late over where you are. <coughs> what would be, if I was to say, okay, two or three major principles that if you had uh, audience with government leaders back in Africa or in the Caribbean, what would your appeal be to them? What would you impress upon them um, by way of principles that we should immediately um, put to work to bring about uh, a change in Africa and the Caribbean using some of the models that you have, you have extrapolated from, from your experience in China? Right. Um, the first thing that I would say is um, 
Africa, we've got so much land. Yeah. But what are our leaders doing? They are failing to give us that land. They're selling that land in exorbitant prices, which is making other people in the diaspora not want to buy land home. They'll rather buy houses in the diaspora. But if they were to give us land, because you see, development starts with land. Mm. If they were to give that land to their people cheap, there's no one who would fail to build something back home. Yeah. If we build those houses, there's no way that we will fail to build the roads because we would want to go back with our cars. There's no way that we'll fail to, to develop that. There's no way that we'll fail to put water or electricity. The fact is that they're not giving us land. You know, I'll give an example. A piece of land in Zimbabwe, in, you know, in this affluent suburb is 100,000 US dollars. Who would want to buy land for 100,000? Right. But if we can get land, because there's land, it's not, there's nothing, it's just trees. It's not developing. We're not building. If they can give Africans in the diaspora land, I'll tell you, they will see doctors coming to build hospitals. They will see teachers coming to build schools. They will, everyone, because, you know, you've got access to that. And that's how development will start. The money, people in the diaspora have the money, but the fact that, you know, you start thinking 100,000 just for a piece of land with 100,000, I can buy a house where, wherever I am and that's it. So that's number one, that's how they can pull us back. Number two, all those projects that they're giving away in tenders, I think they should start opening up to people who can afford to do them, who can afford to take them. Right. If there's a tender to build a school, why should it go to a Chinese when I'm there? Yes. Right. Give me a chance to pull up or find other four or five people to come together and get that tender. Why should it go to someone from outside? In the example of old clothes, I was giving it because we bring in all these NGOs from outside. Yes. That's what they bring for us. You know, they say they're coming to help us, but they bring those old things to our kids, things that we can give. If yeah. it's old, why can't we do it ourselves? Absolutely. Because all those NGOs are coming in and basing in Africa, giving us food. They're not teaching us skills, you know. No one is teaching us skills, but now we are, we have the skills. And that's why I'm saying right now, I'm building a skills academy back home to try and teach entrepreneurial skills in our communities, because also in Africa, we're educated so that we go and work for someone else, mm -hmm. not that we start working for ourselves. So it's something that I want to change. But I believe like land, land is the key. They have to. Yeah. I agree yeah. with you. 100%. And China made it possible because they removed classes. Yeah. In Africa, we're still struggling because we've got, yeah. 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 